Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 8 of The Beauty of Holy Choices, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In 2015, I wrote a book titled The Beauty of Holy Choices, which examines people from the Bible who pleased God by making a hard choice in a difficult circumstance. Each of the 12 chapters is a standalone story, and they're all woven together by their emphasis on holiness and arranged in the order in which they appear in the scriptures. Each unit ends with clear application to today's Christian walk and a challenge to the reader. This eighth installment is entitled, David Insists on Paying for a Threshing Floor. All scripture is taken from the NIV. King David only lived to be 70 years old, according to 2 Samuel 5.4, so by the time he was 66, he wasn't far from the end. David had stopped going to battle with his men. We know that from 2 Samuel 21.17. And the vigor and manliness of youth had passed him by. Perhaps he needed to feel strong again, or maybe it was just his ego that needed a shot in the arm. In any case, David decided to take a census, which is not a sin in and of itself. God had ordered Moses to take a couple, for example. We read about those in Numbers 1-2 and in Numbers 26-2. But scholars seem to agree that David's attitude and motive for taking his particular senses is what got him into trouble with God. David wanted to glory in his fighting men to say, What a great nation of warriors I have established. This way of thinking would be poison to Israel, and there was great sin in David's heart. 2 Samuel 24, 1-3 says, Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men, so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my Lord the King see it. But why does my Lord the King want to do such a thing? Joab and his men were just sick. They hated being ordered to do something they knew would get the nation into trouble. But God apparently had in mind to hold the whole nation accountable for something they had previously done wrong. He intended to do so by allowing David to be tempted to take a census and then punishing him and the people for doing so. Don't be discouraged if certain passages in Scripture seem odd or unfair to you. Don't worry if not everything makes sense the first time you read it. Don't even pretend that you aren't confused. Just read commentaries, meditate on the words, pray for wisdom, and recognize that you won't always understand everything. Take it on faith and move on. Here are the things we know for sure. David took a census. It was obvious to his men from the get-go that to do so would be sinful, and they begged him to reconsider. David went ahead anyway. God intended to use the incident to punish Israel for something that they had done to displease him. 2 Samuel 24, 4 through 10. 
The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. After crossing the Jordan, they camped near a roar, south of the town in the gorge, and then went through Gad and on to Jazer. They went to Gilead and the region of Tatim Hadshi, and on to Don John and around toward Sidon. Then they went toward the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and Canaanites. Finally, they went on to Beersheba in the Negev of Judah. After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000. David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. What a shame. David realizes it's wrong and wants to undo it, but it's too late. His men have already spent more than three quarters of a year going house to house and counting, counting, counting. The climactic moment finally arrives. Referring to their figures, they speak out loud the grand totals as David sits on his kingly throne, eagerly anticipating the results. But once that big number is out, the fun is over. All that's left is an awful sense of guilt. We've all been there. Maybe you didn't take a census, but you succumbed to temptation, sinned, and then felt terrible. But it's not enough to feel remorse. Sin has consequences. 2 Samuel 24, 11-13 Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come on you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land? Now then think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. Oh, the pain of it. David must choose his poison And it's not just he who will be suffering for his sin, it's also the people he was so proud of ruling. They're the ones whose crops will not produce for three years, or whose land will be invaded by bloodthirsty enemies, or whose bodies will be ravaged by some plague. How to choose? How to choose? 2 Samuel 24, 14 and 15. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. If David wasn't already showing his age, this would do it. 70,000 people perished because he insisted on a foolish ego-stroking that his advisors begged him to pass up. This man that the Bible describes as being after God's own heart certainly had his flaws, didn't he? 2 Samuel 24, 16 and 17. When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand. 
When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall on me and my family. David spoke like a shepherd. He would sacrifice himself to protect his sheep. Now we're getting somewhere. David had sinned a great sin, but it was still possible to make holy choices, and he'd finally started moving in the right direction again. The best was still to come, however. 2 Samuel 24, 18-23 On that day Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Arana looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, May the lord your God accept you. Who wouldn't have made the offer that Arana did? Here was the king himself who'd been ruling for over 35 years at this point. This king's military might and reputation for being a man of God certainly preceded him. What an honor just to be in his presence. You'd like to buy my threshing floor? Are you kidding? No way. Take it. It's yours. I'm happy to help. Not to mention frightened to death of this terrible plague. Let me do my part. I'm making this donation on the spot. 2 Samuel 24, 24, and 25. And the king said to Arana, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burn offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burn offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. It's very important to clear something up here. 50 shekels of silver, which is about one and a quarter pounds, is not very much. In fact, at 2020 prices, it comes to around $348. The other account of this story is found in 1 Chronicles 21, and it gives some much-needed additional information. The full price for the property was not just the 50 shekels of silver, but 600 shekels of gold which is around 15 pounds. At 2020 prices, the gold alone is worth nearly $413,280. So the 1.25 pounds of silver mentioned in 2 Samuel was apparently a down payment made with cash on hand by men who hadn't expected to make any large purchases and were just carrying around chump change. Then, when David's associates were able to go back to his palace and get the gold, they did so and finished the deal. 
Incidentally, this threshing floor and eight acres of property wasn't just any old spot. It happened to be part of a mountain range collectively called Mount Moriah and was the very place where the Torah records that Abraham nearly offered his son Isaac as a human sacrifice, Genesis 22. Later, this land was the site of Solomon's temple, 2 Chronicles 3.1, as well as the second temple, which was erected by Ezra in Ezra 6, due to the destruction of the original. Today, it hosts the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, the third holiest shrine in the Islamic faith. The Old Testament foretells that when the Messiah comes, he will reign from a temple on this site. Christians understand this as the second coming of Christ. The desire of Orthodox Jews to construct a third temple in fulfillment of prophecy on the site of the original is one reason for the great contention between Muslims and Jews in the Holy Land. What this all means in this story of David's expensive purchase of a place to sacrifice might be construed as to be about paying for our own sins, but that would be terribly wrong. David did not pay for his sin with some silver and gold. He demonstrated repentance through obedience to God's command. So if David wasn't buying off God, why was it necessary for him to make a sacrifice after sinning? Couldn't he just accept God's forgiveness and move on? How was buying the land a holy act? Allow me to answer by beginning with more questions. Would you want to be in a committed relationship, a friendship, a parent-child relationship, or a marriage where the other person didn't have to give anything of himself or herself, where the other person had to expend no effort at all for you and never had to show that he or she cared, where the relationship was completely take for him or her and completely give on your part, how could you ever really know whether that person cared for you for any reason other than what he or she got out of you? Likewise, would you want your children to never have to show that they appreciated you or cared for you or were willing to do anything for you in return for your sacrifice? Good relationships are give and take. We have nothing of value to offer God that isn't His already except ourselves. God gave himself for us. Now he expects the same in return. How can you give yourself to him? Quite simply by making a sacrifice. Some are called to sacrifice their very lives. Some feel called to take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Of one thing you can be sure, even if you aren't called to die a martyr or spend your life being poor or stay single, you are called to obey. And obedience is often a great sacrifice indeed. 1 Samuel 15.22 Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Sacrifices are gifts to God that should cost something dear, time, money, or effort. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God 
with your bodies. Acceptable sacrifices come from the best a person has to offer and cost something like time, money, or effort. They should be offered in reverence, obedience, and humility. Malachi 1, verses 6 and 13 and 14, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It's you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God did a great thing for David and the people of Israel. He turned away his fierce wrath, had pity on them, forgave their sin, and spared them from total destruction. David's obedience in making the necessary arrangements to offer a sacrifice on the altar was a holy choice that demonstrated faith. It is exactly what is needed today, too. What has God done for you? Has He saved your soul? Fed your body? Put loving relationships with good people in your life? Clothed you? Provided you with a good job, given you a place to live and a comfortable bed to sleep in, sustained your life to this point? You probably couldn't make a list of everything he's done for you if you sat down and wrote for a week straight. Now answer this, what are you doing for him? He made the ultimate sacrifice to redeem you. What are you sacrificing in return? It might be time to give up small sins like juicy gossip, white lies, lustful thoughts, laziness, or selfishness when it comes to giving to the local church. It might be time to put in some effort with a ministry to which you've been called. Perhaps the Spirit has been dealing with you about something like spending more time in prayer. Obey the voice of the Lord. Make the sacrifice He's calling you to make. If you are a Christian, you're in a give-and-take relationship with the Savior of your soul. Make a holy choice today. If this podcast has been a help to you, please pass it along.